Welcome to the Growing Rural Podcast, where we focus on all things rural in South Carolina. We will discuss topics on healthcare, economy, education, and the unique culture that is our rural state. This podcast is supported by the South Carolina Center for Rural and Primary Healthcare. Please join us for today's topic. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Growing Rural Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Bennett. Today, we're doing a roundtable conversation with our team from the Center for Rural and Primary Healthcare. With me today are Michelle Stanick, the Associate Director of the Center. Hi, Kevin. Good morning. It's great to be here. Also with me is Dr. Megan Weiss, our Director of Community Engagement. Hey, Kevin. Happy to be here today. So it goes without saying that 2020 is not exactly gone the way we thought it would. Um, And we've taken a break from recording for many, many of those reasons. Uh, And we're here in the studio. It's the middle of October, towards the end of October, actually. Um, A pandemic has been going on since February, March. We thought it was abating. Doesn't look like that's happening anymore. Maybe it's going back up. Um, And the second wave, third wave, fourth wave, whatever wave we're on, it seems to be higher in rural areas, which is problematic for many reasons. Um, And so we thought we'd just get together and talk about COVID, post-COVID, and what that means for rural South Carolina specifically. So I kind of wanted to open it up as a broad question, but what do you think we've learned about ourselves, about rural, about South Carolina through this pandemic? Well, I think uh, when I talk to um, providers, practices, healthcare organizations in rural, we're we're talking about post-COVID, but we're really still in COVID. And so it's there's sort of these dual conversations about uh, what do we learn, where are we going to go, but at the same time still trying to deal with uh, sort of the reality that we still have a, a surge, surging cases in rural areas. So what have we learned? I think we've learned at least from what I hear that there needs to, one thing, there needs to be better integration between public health mm-hmm. and the healthcare delivery system, particularly in rural areas that... Uh, They've, they've sort of been on parallel paths in some ways, but how can we make sure that they're integrated? And I think that a lot of a lot of that has happened. But even as we train new um, healthcare providers, as we set up sort of the infrastructure, how do we make sure those are working well together and seamlessly well together? And by provider, much more so than just medical provider. Absolutely, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things I'm seeing, particularly working with different community groups, and um, as you were saying, Michelle, there's so many people where this is the everyday, this is the reality, they're seeing the infections, they're caring for people, and yet there's this other duality of so many of us, and I know we feel it personally too, of this desire to get back to normal or what we remember what normal was, and talking about a new normal and trying to move on and do the other things for daily life, for our kids, for our families that we all want to do and that is important to us, but doing so in a way that really mitigates the risk. And I'm seeing a tension between those who are like in the trenches every day and really seeing what's going on and others who are are ready to do, to to move on and do some other things. And I feel like, like you were saying with healthcare and public health, the communication of the risks and risk mitigation and really trying to do all we can to help keep everyone safe in communities such as wearing masks. You know, some people aren't wearing masks as much. We know masks do help prevent the spread 
uh, of COVID and can help get us back to that new normal. So I still see with the public health and the communication and the messaging, some of the challenges we talked about, because I think we talked in March or April, we had the, right. the last podcast that communications was really going to be important. And I'm still seeing opportunities there mm-hmm. to, to really to really improve that. Yeah, I think um, I think we have a lot of people talking about post COVID, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. as I as I said before, they're still in COVID. So, but I think what they mean by that is mm-hmm. they feel like the initial crisis is over. Mm-hmm. Meaning yeah. the crisis, meaning how do we do everything differently? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that some of the challenges still remain, or some of the consequences of. Mm-hmm the uh, initial hit of COVID are being felt by a lot of rural um, Mm -hmm. healthcare organizations, providers, and communities that Mm -hmm. we're starting to see uh, some fatigue um, and also some of the sort of consequences of, um, in a lot of respects, the economic impact of COVID on, Mm -hmm. on them. It's interesting, Michelle, that you said, you know, they're looking ahead post COVID because it for rural, it's always been a little different. I think this has highlighted how many gaps there were, how many vulnerabilities there were, and it's almost like a lot of rural providers and community members are like, yeah, we, we told you this. This is nothing new. And it almost feels like they're able to adapt to it a little bit better maybe than urban areas where they don't have to you know, come up with brand new ideas because they've always been doing that. They've always been doing the, the best they can with the least. Yeah, I think that the, there's an adaptability that you you see in rural communities and and in the rural healthcare delivery system, um, because they have never been over resourced. So um, being under resourced is sort of their their status quo. So they 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 tend to be even in times of non pandemic a little bit more more nimble ad- of adopting some some change or adapting to to um, changes in their environment. Um, sometimes that's good and sometimes it's too much adaptability um, versus really sort of setting up systems that um, that we know will drive better health for their communities. And a lot of it's just out of necessity about what resources they have. I think resource-wise, a lot of um, health care providers in, in rural areas right now have always sort of struggled with uh, staffing and having, um, you know, staff, appropriate staffing levels. And I know in urban areas and rural areas, it's a huge issue right now. Um, I think rural's just a little bit more used to, to, to dealing with that. I've talked to those urban providers and, and they're really having to learn those, uh, um, how to, how to cope with fewer staff um, and how to, how to, how to deal with that so yeah i think that that's a benefit they have and and our hope is that um that the the needs of rural um communities and rural health care providers the spotlight stays on them and they're able to um get some of the the resources they need to make changes that will really help them build healthier communities i know when we were talking before michelle like earlier about transitioning to more telehealth and more rural providers and rural systems taking advantage of telehealth opportunities and we've seen a lot more attention on broadband lately to be able to expand that access are you do you think that with the with the providers and with people in rural communities having access to telehealth that that's going to be something that's sustainable that 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 will stay or I hope, but I think that it needs some intentionality to it because, um, and just having a conversation with a group of, of uh, 
those who provide care in urban areas and rural, and they've seen a, after a surge of telehealth visits in the spring and the summer, they're actually seeing that drop pretty precipitously from their patients who are now favoring sort of face-to-face. Um, and I hope that we intentionally work out of how that can be a, a, a addition and a benefit to rural um, patients and communities and that uh, we just don't get back to business as usual because I think that virtual health and telehealth visits is a is a really great option um, and will deal with some of the access issues. One area where I have heard that we're sustaining those telehealth visits is in behavioral health, that a lot of behavioral health providers and their patients have seen the real value of that and that uh, not only are they maintaining the number of visits that are being developed, de- uh, delivered via tele, but that, um, that their patients are more apt to keep their appointments and keep engaged with their behavioral health provider. So I think that's something that, that I've heard about um, and it would be interesting to see how that proves out. But I think intentionally designing and deciding in a rural community, who, where does a telehealth visit fit and mm-hmm. when does a face-to-face visit fit? And I think we're struggling that in a lot of our different aspects of what we're dealing with, even with our education system as well. I I think that's an interesting point, too, about not just the healthcare systems, but the Mm -hmm. communities themselves have to adapt. You know, we're all parents here. We have experienced the adaptation of the educational system. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you have to wonder how well that's going in rural. You hear anecdotes and you hear stories with teachers and parents, but... You know what is what does that adaptation look like? What does the adaptation look like for this fall with the state fairs, but drive-through county fairs, mm-hmm. all those cultural linchpin events for communities, especially rural communities? How do you think that's going to affect their community at large? I think there's a lot that we still need to learn and to see. Speaking specifically to education, some of the challenges, and I know we've talked about it in the office. I've talked about it with with other friends and with some of the, the partners out there. Every school district is coming at it from a different direction. The direction sometimes from um, leadership changes, the numbers and what's going on is, change, is changing. Some districts, school districts uh, with parents, you know, I've, and I'll just say this um, for myself, you know, it changed three times in one week what the plan <laughs> was. So that's, that's not unusual. So I think in one terms, the resilience and the coming together that you were talking about, Michelle, is really going to be there and is going to continue to be there. I'm, I'm not sure what it's going to look like or mm-hmm. what I would predict. I think that because we're experiencing these different events and ways of gathering and ways of connection, which I think is what everyone is really looking for, you know, not just right. like with the healthcare and getting access to healthcare, but that community connection side that is so important to community health and wellness that we are finding those ways around it. There are library systems that now um, have some of the, like, drive-through, or they have outside, um, outside, they, they take some of the um, books outside, and mm-hmm. they have opportunities for kids to be able to come by, or people are able to order the books online and just pick them up. So, you know, at first it was like everything's closed, but how, then how do we have these connections? Mm-hmm. There are libraries doing Facebook reading and, and storytelling. Um, a lot of schools are doing what they can. Um, I know my son has um, sometimes independent reading so- time outside. They're all separated, but so they're, they're making the efforts for that. I think with the State Fair, I actually heard on um, South Carolina ETV, they were talking with the State Fair director about how they really pivoted because it is something so important to the state, mm-hmm. both um, in terms of community, something we take a lot of pride in, 
and um, it's really um, innovative and something new. So they're excited to see how, how it turns It'll out work, yeah. as well. I think we're going to have to continue to see that, see, see how it goes, but there are some really interesting things going on. So it's exciting to see that. Yeah, and I think that community, that connection, um, it's an interesting, I've, I've always wondered, and I have my own theories on levels of connectivity, urban versus rural versus whatever. Um, you know, a lot of that was disrupted this year, obviously. Um, and rural communities may have felt that more concretely because they tend to be more close-knit or more identifiable as a community as a whole, you know, broad-sweeping generalizations. Um, and, you know, with, you know, churches not meeting in person, I think that, um, especially here in the South, where that's a huge part of it, most people's lives, where, you know, they're now starting to figure out how to meet outdoors and how to do different yeah, things. Yeah, the drive and, up and the, yeah. in the parking lots. I've gone by some of the churches and like you have, you know, a pastor up there and there's a megaphone and there's the audio system that is now outside. Right, right. And the cars that are separated and people sitting outside, right. um, e- even there to, to try to build that community. Yeah. I was yeah. listening to the radio this morning about people using drive-ins for stand-up comedy shows and concerts and things like that. So Yeah, as a person who, you know, most of my work is around transformation and, and uh, improvement. I, I see it as an opportunity, and I hope that we continue to adapt and change and test, see if it works. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, tweak it and try it again. Um, you know, I think just going back to the, the telehealth, I had a sample of about 30 different practices um, on Friday, and every single one of them says we're on uh, our telehealth the third telehealth platform. Um, the first one wasn't quite working, or the second one was Zoom, which wasn't you know ideal. And so I think being adaptable and saying uh, what is going to work, and whether it's in the community or within a practice, is really being willing to just keep testing in it and trying to adapt to make sure that we're not only delivering the services or, or meeting the needs of our community residents or patients, but that we're really making that connection. Because I think whether it's in the community or within um, the healthcare system, mm-hmm. it's really about building strong relationships. And I think rural has always had um, somewhat of an advantage in that way. If you're in a rural practice, every patient who walks in the door, everybody knows them, and that's a, that's a real strength of that community. Um, and so how do we make sure that those trusting, healing relationships are, are continuing, whether it be in the community, in, in our school systems, or in our healthcare system? Yeah, it's not just having, okay, I can get this medication, or I can get right. that test. It's that exactly. human connection. Absolutely. That this is someone who cares for me. This is my community that cares for me. Right. Absolutely. Which was, might be why that telehealth is declining, because they want that right. connection. Right, they want the connection. So yeah, maybe, my, it'll, mm-hmm. maybe it'll swing back up after we get through this, and they're like, okay, yeah. I've connected, I've yeah. reconnected. But man, it's cold. I'd really like to be able to tell telehealth in today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I think I think with a lot of things now. In this case, we were we were forced into it, and we we all needed to shut down and and, and do that. But lots of times, you know, when you, you see a change or and you have a huge impact, such as a pandemic, the pendulum swings so far the other way, mm-hmm. and then it, it comes back. So I think um, we've heard people talk about you know five, ten years. 20 years of telehealth transformation has happened basically in six months because right. we had to do it. Right. There are things um, that would have taken a long, long time just through the normal policy processes that now we're there and talk about will that be rolled back or not. Right. Um, my opinion, probably not completely because as people have, have done that, but I think as you're saying with the pendulum, we went to all telehealth mm-hmm. because we had mm-hmm. to except for the most dire of, of, of right. crises where 
you had to because you even saw people avoiding going to the hospitals even mm-hmm. when they really needed to for like symptoms of stroke or cardiovascular um, uh, uh, an event. But that pendulum will come come back and forth and really be able to see what is telehealth really effective for, like you're talking about with behavioral health and, and some of those needs. Mm-hmm. I can see, you know, again, with my kids being able to check in about an ear infection or a co- do we right, really right. need to come in? Being able to do that, but then still having those times where we're like, okay, we, we thought we could do this with it, but it turns out these other aspects are really in, important. We do need that that right. touch and that connection. Right. Yeah, I read somewhere that somebody said that we've been forced into the sudden future, and I really like that phrase. Oh, I like that um, phrase too. Yeah, so it really is. But I think that's where I talked about the intentionality of things. Right. Like right. let's let's be intentional about how we now. Perhaps we don't, but it feels like we might be able to have a little bit of ability to say, where does this really fit yeah. in helping rural communities stay Like we all healthier. jumped into the deep end because exactly. we had to, right. but now we have the opportunity to, okay, kind of go out and be more intentional about, okay, this is how we really want it to look. We, exactly. we, did, we did a lot of pilot testing really, really quickly. Yeah. This is what we want to keep. And I think the, that intentionality is going to be key because we did jump in the deep end right. and a lot of people were flailing around and had yeah. a bad experience. Yeah. So how Absolutely. do we come back and say, okay, yeah, that was an experiment by force, but we learned a lot. Now this is what we think will work really well. Let's try it again and just yeah. try to ignore the bad experiences you had. And that's that's one of the things that I have concern about and just an analogy of when um, portals, web portals were a big thing, uh, you know, 10 years ago. And the first initial portals weren't very well designed or user-friendly. So a lot of people got turned off for by them and they just said, you know, I'm not going to use that anymore, where it really helps them better manage their health. Um, and so I, I don't want the, a bad experience with the virtual mm-hmm. health visit to say it doesn't fit anywhere in how I can get my health care. But, you know, I also think there's a lot of other areas where intentionality and opportunity, there's opportunity for our rural communities in our rural health care delivery system. Um, you know, there is additional funds that are flowing into mm-hmm. um, rural communities and, and the rural health care delivery system and, and how South Carolina and just nationally, how does how do we take advantage of them and, and optimize them to really meet the needs of our rural patients? So whether it be for how we pay for health care, wh- whether what gets paid for, um, new services that can get paid for, um, in rural communities, or even around um, broadband and investments in, in rural communities. So I hope that um, in the end that there's definitely some benefits for this uh, this uh, um, turmoil that we've all gone right. through. Yeah, and I think broadband is an interesting one because we've been banging that drum for many, many years. We mm-hmm. need better broadband so we could do telehealth and we need this for that. But now that we need broadband for education mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. are people are finally understanding you know there are kids adults families mm-hmm. entire communities without good broadband or any broadband you know now there's a lot of movement towards getting that fixed which is excellent we've been right. trying to get that done for many 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 years and <laughs> yeah, it's I taken think, a pandemic to get it done yeah i think we and we have been involved in rural have seen all these policy issues sort of floating around it's you know policy development sort of um models and now the the window has opened because of covid and so we want them to 
go in through the window and, and really be implemented in an impactful mm-hmm. way. And, and hopefully we can get some things done that will really help uh, improve the infrastructure and capacity for rural communities to help uh, improve the health of their um, residents. Right. Yeah, what I found interesting with broadband, because, you know, we've been talking about it, and now, as you said, the education advocates, also when we talk about economic development, because as more and more people are forced to work from home or need right. to work from home or have the op- option or to work to, from yeah. home and and are allowed to, finding that um, the, the Internet connection is mm-hmm. quite important for that. So both for businesses to be able to maintain their continuity of operations such as possible, um, for their workforce really having an ev- even more of an interest in that, and then also the options that we're finding people have. You know, if I'm working from home, where does my home need to be? Right, so even right. people leaving more urban areas to go home or go to a more rural area for a different type and, and quality of life and opening all those options. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll be interesting to see how, how that changes just how we work in, in general, both in, of course, in healthcare, but then, you know, how that could change the populations, who, who's living where and how right. and what they're doing. Yeah, it's always interesting, you know, history lesson. We've only been an urban society for less than 100 years. And people largely have gone to cities, you know, industrial revolution, where that's where the jobs were, that's where the economy is, and you move out and you Mm -hmm. go there and get a job. And we've really gone that pendulum swing in that Mm -hmm. direction. This is almost, you know, talking, Michelle, about adaptation and change. A lot of companies are adapting. Um, There are companies, I think maybe even Twitter, have said, okay, nobody come back to the office mm-hmm. ever again. You know, it makes a lot of sense. And this is opening the door, I think, for rural. And this is something mm-hmm. I've been beating, you know, that drum recently with is this is an opportunity for rural to step up and say, hey, you, there's a great quality of life here, mm-hmm. wide open spaces, great people. You can telecommute. Now we've got some good um, educational opportunities. We, can, we have a great school system and we can supplement it through uh, online offerings. You can do telehealth. You've got all sorts of opportunities coming up. This is a potential for a rural boon going forward. Yeah, I think on the on the flip side, is, as we know that the pandemic has hit employment rates in rural areas more severely than right. than yes, urban yeah. areas, and so and I think that we also that uh, rural areas have less. Uh, employment opportunities that would allow a work from home model and so I think that even all the changes that we want in the health and healthcare system within our rural areas really depends on a recovery within the economy in our rural communities mm-hmm. because um, you know it all all really sort of hinges on that um, you know employment leads to unemployment leads to lower um, rates of insurance for um, for workers in rural areas and so um, that puts pressure on the rural health care delivery system so it all really ties in mm-hmm. so I think that um, it's almost almost like a tale of two rural communities so hopefully um, there's some economic um, infusion of people and jobs um, but that um, that the recovery does come to rural um, community as well when with re- jobs returning. Yeah, and it's difficult. I know in South Carolina, a lot of our rural communities depend on tourism dollars, um, even pass-throughs going to tourist areas. You know, mm-hmm. you think about places on towards the coast, for example. You know, th- their recovery is going to be long, but it could be swift if things do right. ever get to the point where people can travel freely again right. and confidently. Then they will probably be okay, but it's going to take some time to recover. Right. So what can we do in the interim to 
-hmm. accelerate that is a good question. Well, you know, when we were talking about, we're not, are we really post-COVID yet when we're in the middle of it, but thinking about the economic recovery, because with the past economic downturn, you know, the economy came back, but if you really look at the numbers, it came back for certain segments right, exactly. of, of the country, and rural really was left behind and was still really kind of reeling from it, you know, from, what is it, 2008, 9, 10, yeah. um, that, that economic downturn. So, you know, we've been talking about, you know, recovery with healthcare and getting the kids up, but also just the economy that has to be part of any kind of economic recovery plan um, at, at the national and at the state level. Yeah, exactly. You know, talking about education and kids going back to school, maybe, maybe not, you know, my kids, I don't even know where they are anymore, <laughs> depending on school days. But, you know, there's a, there's a gap that we believe has developed in preventive care, especially among kids, shots, well checkups, Absolutely. all those kinds of things. What do we know about that? What can we do about that? Yeah, I think um, at least from what I see from the sort of the practice side and, and what's the, the what services our patients are coming in for, I think, you know, as, as Megan alluded to earlier, um, Really, initially, you, a lot of people were avoiding going mm-hmm. to the doctor, even for things that they absolutely needed to be going mm-hmm. to the uh, the um, doctor for uh, stroke symptoms, etc. So, I think what we first saw in the summer was come back for those acute illnesses, and now really. Um, um, providers are starting to look at and helpfully, hopefully reach out proactively to help make sure those patients with chronic diseases are being uh, managed. So those patients with hypertension and diabetes are coming in for their, their quarterly diabetes checks or their hypertension management visits. And the, the, I think the lag area is really those preventive services, mm-hmm. at least in my opinion. And, and for kids, it's immunizations. For adults, it's the cancer screenings and those cancer prevention um, um, as well. And so I think that those are, are starting to sort of practices starting to think about that. But I'm not sure um, really how, you know, a lot of people are still putting those off, saying, I can put this off. We're... we're Unfortunately, it's best if they don't. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. Both what we're seeing and some of the data, and then some of the anecdata. You know, talking with the, the colleagues of, of yours, Michelle, and also pediatricians and other um, professionals that I've been able to talk to. With um, you know, kids' well visits. My my children had their well visits right before the pandemic, so they were there. Good but timing. I canceled their dental appointments, mm-hmm. and now I'm here thinking, okay, it's 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 really time to reschedule them. Um, the seven year old. You know, he, he's doing good, but, you know, my, my youngest had, hadn't had his first visit. He really needs to have it. Um, and now that we've been in this for a while, there are really good protocols. We, we know what needs to be done to mitigate the risk, and there are those certain preventative things that need to be done for kids, um, their dental visits. Also with immunizations, um, that is something that um, I personally have a lot of concern about, and um, a lot of the pediatricians and other uh, maternal and child health experts I know are concerned about because so many of those, you know, they come in a series or you need, uh, you know, they have more than one shot and we're going to lose, we probably won't catch every kid that we might have lost um, through that and, and measles, mumps, rubella, you know, whooping cough, all of these infectious diseases are unfortunately still still around and what we would hate to see is another resurgence, you know, in the next, in the coming years because of that. Um, 
I think it's something that's been recognized. I think what needs to be done with that is we really need to, as you were saying, Michelle, with intentionality, we've dealt with the crisis. Now it's time to be like, okay, this is our new normal and this is how we're moving forward. But how do we get those kids to come back? How do we provide those assurances for parents that, you know, we, we do have this. I've done, you know, some pediatricians' offices are doing the drive, th- you know, drive through So there's mm-hmm. very m- mitigated risk. There's, um, there's the protective equipment. Um, but also, as you said, the cancer screenings, you know, colorectal cancer and breast cancer and prostate cancer. Right. Um, there are a, a lot of concerns because we know when those are caught earlier, survival rate is so much higher. Mm-hmm. And especially when we're talking about our black populations with breast cancer mm-hmm. and colorectal cancer, it is so important that it is it's caught earlier. Early. And um, so many times it, it isn't already because of the disparities and mm-hmm. inequities that exist. I guess for, for what we, we do moving forward with that, you know, talk with public health and health promotion education, there's going to need to be some massive campaigning, mm-hmm. I think, around that. Um, in, in the communications messaging, but also as providers are meeting with people being intentional. I know they have this checklist and there's the protocols, but really being intentional about getting that out there and also asking our community leaders and finding the community leaders to really share that, that message. Um, the death of Chadwick Boseman was, you know, shocking and, and tragic, you know, right. you know, South Carolina son, um, it means so much to, to so many people for, for so many reasons. But um, I, I think a lot of people really saw the importance of, of screening there and being able to, to say, yes, you know, we, we, we can treat these diseases. It, it, it's important. And, and to get people out there, it's, it's still out there. Right. And I believe they just made a policy change for kids and mm-hmm. flu shots. At drive-throughs, yeah, right? um, with pharmacies. pharmacies. Um, one of the um, more recent legislative cha- changes. Once we were able to finish our legislative session, right. <laughs> um, the the very much interrupted legislative session this year is previously there had been a you had to be twelve years or older mm-hmm. or over twelve um, to receive your flu shot at a pharmacy, and now that age restriction has been lifted. Um, right. I can't remember specifically if there's a limit, like with infants, but younger kids can. Um, so check with your local pharmacy. Check for your with your flu local shot. pharmacist, because and and as we've talked before, in many communities you might not have a hospital, you might have more trainings, but there's mm-hmm. usually a pharmacy around the corner somewhere. Right. Yeah, so to it's be a, able to check. So this is October. It's a good time to get your flu mm-hmm. shot, particularly with COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, getting both at the same time would probably not be a good idea. Um, <laughs> your body probably wouldn't be able to handle that very well. And your kids can now, it's opened up access at pharmacies to get a mm-hmm. broader range of flu shots. And many of them are low cost, if not no cost, depending on your insurance. I think one of the things um, that's come out of um, COVID and the pandemic is it's really refocusing the spotlight on health disparities and, and inequities. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Something that um, I think, um, you know, was was needed to be really laser focused big bright spotlight and i think in the last five years that spotlight has been sort of pushed away a little bit and so i'm really pleased to see that that's really come back to the forefront of discussion to policy discussions to everyday how are we doing business discussions how are we either um, combating this or in unintentionally um, not addressing um, the disparities that um, are within our healthcare delivery system. So um, I can't say I'm, I'm happy that um, COVID happened, but I'm really happy that um, because um, of that, we're going to really, I think a lot of focus will be given to that and, and hopefully we can um, 
to make some progress and reduce those um, disparities and those inequities. So going forward, here we are in middle October, uh, we do have an election coming up in a couple weeks. Um, in many ways, we're in the midst of an election with early uh, absentee ballots and in-person voting, uh, early voting. It's been going very well. I uh, encourage everyone out there that's listening to go vote if you haven't already. Um, but, you know, changes might be coming one way or the other. I think whomever gets elected, probably things will be changing in one way or another. So if you could think of one thing going forward that would be good for rural, that if you could, man, if I could snap my fingers and make this change, what what would it be? I, I really think broadband, treating mm-hmm. broadband as a public utility and not mm-hmm. just something that pops up for one or two businesses in a certain area. When you think about our interstate system, you know, and being able in our history to have the roads and the federal investment and the state investments for interstate to really um, increase transportation, broadband's no different if you think about it uh, in terms of that infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we have to have water to live, you know, so we have the water systems, electricity, we can... We can get away without electricity, but it sure makes life a lot easier. Um, But I really think broadband is becoming one of those things that in our modern society, as we were talking, um, both urban and rural, especially rural, is necessary. So lifting it from more of a local issue, oh, this local area needs um, broadband, but really thinking of it as a statewide and federal issue Mm -hmm. that needs um, that investment and coordinated um, investment and policies and development. would really be important. And I say that because of what we were talking about with health, but also with education and the economic development and the other aspects as well. Right. Yeah, I would go off. I think economic development, I think that is Mm -hmm. such a foundation that everything else builds on. If Mm -hmm. you have a strong economy or high employment within a rural community, then that helps pretty much, um, you know, helps people better manage their Mm -hmm. health, be able to, um, you know, buy healthier foods, um, but also it helps the healthcare delivery system mm-hmm. to have a higher mm-hmm. um, um, percentage of their patients with insurance um, that they can pay for the services. Um, and so I think economic development and just uh, really sort of that economic recovery happening in rural areas right. is, I think, yeah. is important. You, you both stole any answers I could have thought of. Um, <laughs> I will say, I think uh, we're dipping our toes into a new program, Libraries and Health, that mm-hmm. Dr. Weiss's um, navigating and coordinating for us. Um, I think this idea, you know, kind of latching onto all those ideas of how do we go into a small rural community and get partners to work together that traditionally haven't worked together. You know, we're putting, helping put healthcare workers, social workers, community health workers in a library to help coordinate with local healthcare systems. Um, how do we do more of that? Do we put them in a school system? Do we open the school up as a as an educational hub, as a healthcare hub, as a community hub? How do we be more creative, especially in these rural communities, to broaden their, not just healthcare, but their their health, physical health, mental health, community health, um, all the above? I think that's that would be a really interesting opportunity. And I think we as a state of South Carolina are unique enough that we could probably try to experiment with that. Um, and, you know, if I were to run for office that might be my platform <laughs> well i think yeah i 100 agree kevin i think that um you know like i said before working in improvement one of the barriers to doing trying new things often is well we've always done it this way right mm-hmm. well COVID has sort of thrown that you know 
um, on its head. And so people are more willing to try new things and maybe perhaps um, be a little bit more innovative and not just sort of stuck in their rut, um, for lack of a better phrase. And so I think, you know, trying new things and, and testing out new approaches, I think, is an opportunity that we have and hopefully that we can um, pursue. Well, this has been great. Hopefully all of these things will come to pass in the next few months and we'll all be happier and healthier. But I think all of us would agree we keep uh, keep rural at the forefront and keep advocating. And I think good things will happen down the road. And I think we're on our way to recovery and hopefully being in a better place at the end of all this. So thanks everybody for listening. Uh, stay tuned for more episodes coming out soon. Uh, If you've liked what you've heard, please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating. That helps other people find us um, and share it with others as well. And if you have ideas for guests that you'd like to hear on our program, let us know. Um, We'd love to hear from you. And that's all for today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Growing Rural Podcast. If you found the content valuable, please leave a rating on iTunes or Spotify so others can find us. For more information, please visit our website at sc.edu forward slash rural healthcare or follow us on Twitter at sc underscore crph. This was recorded at the University of South Carolina School of Medicine in Columbia. It is edited and produced by Sean Riffle. Y'all take care.